Hi everyone and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. The idea behind these podcasts is to find a better way of us being able to create performance. So we're interested in understanding ourselves, our teams and culture and supporting other people along the way. And we're also interested in the science behind high performance as well as the art of how we actually go about delivering it. And then asking, of course, the questions about why do we do what we do? We're keen to explore all the key areas, what are the determining factors of high performance? Get to know some of the people along the way who've been responsible for driving high performance. And we'll be trying to learn the lessons. How can we all develop so that where we're looking back over our lives, that we can be content with what we've achieved but also be proud about the way that we've done it. You can subscribe on YouTube, iTunes and supportingchampions.co.uk to get these insights straight to your inbox. In this week's episode, I talk to physiologist Jan Lemure. Now, Jan is the creator and instigator of a wave of interest and activity around the use of infographics. They've become quite a phenomenon. Now, interestingly, the concept has had a few critics recently, which is fascinating. We get into that topic uh, about what they are and what they're not. Ultimately, we hear from Jan that he's trying to add value to enhance our understanding, but is acutely aware of the responsibility he has now that he has such a powerful platform of interest in his communications and what a delicate balance that is for him. Fantastic. Well, um, welcome, Jan. Um, Welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. Um, it's a delight to have you uh, on the recording. Um, I'm really keen to get into this infographic phenomenon that you've created at some point and, and talk to you a little bit about your white men. Um, but, um, but before we do that, Jan, I just wanted to, to ask you about you. Um, f- how did you first get into sport and sports science? Hi, Steve. Uh, thank you very much for, for the invitation. I'm really happy to, to contribute. Um, so about me, uh, I, I practiced sports for, for a long time since I was a kid. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, I was a, a tennis player. So I started play, uh, playing tennis at, uh, when I was uh, six years old. And I did that for a long time. I think I, I played until I was 23. And uh, then I moved to triathlon. So I have always been interested by, by performance, but uh, also by uh, training methodology and physiology. And so I tested a lot of things on myself, uh, you know, about uh, the way to, to monitor my, my, my workload, to experiment different training strategies, uh, to, to identify how to improve my fitness and so on. And uh, when I was playing tennis, uh, with time passing, I was more interested by the fact uh, of uh, improving my my fitness uh, than playing tennis. That's the reason why I moved to triathlon. And um, so basically the main reason why I started studying sports science is mm-hmm. because uh, I was uh, passion- passionate by sports and especially by, by training. Yeah, that's an unusual step from tennis to triathlon you normally have your swimmers or your cyclists but uh, not someone who can hit a ball well <laughs> yeah but uh, i was um, dedicating a lot of my time to um, 
you know, uh, SNC training. You know, yeah. I was running a lot. I was practicing strength training and so on. And uh, especially I was running a lot. And uh, so the first step was from tennis to running and then from running to triathlon. Right. And uh, I also started studying uh, sports science at the university. So it gave me the opportunity to practice different sports, including swimming. Yeah. And logically, I started practicing triathlon. That's the reason why I moved from tennis to, to triathlon. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Well, um, what, what a transition. So uh, who's, your, who's your tennis hero? Let's, let's just find out. Yeah. It has to be, be <laughs> Roger, surely. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> for, 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 for the player, but also for the, the champion that he is and the yeah. kind of, of person he is. Yeah. yeah. What what a recent resurgence in terms of as a physiologist, I'm sure you can appreciate the the quality, but for, that comes from him prioritizing his training and his rest and his recovery. Uh, what a champion! Yeah, clearly. And also, tennis is very interesting sport because um, um, I had uh, the opportunity to to work with a professional player, with a professional player, and. It's a difficult sport because you have to manage the the travel. You all the time uh, the, there are not so many opportunities to to train very hard. And uh, but at the same time, you need to to develop your your fitness to be good on the court and also to recover fast uh, after the, the the game. And there are a lot of things to 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 manage, and yeah. it's very interesting for that. Yeah. You know about. Uh, Training monitoring about the way to to program the strength training session about the way to to manage the travel the nutrition the recovery and so on it's a very interesting sport I think mm. yeah isn't it I mean, we're getting into the, the demands of tennis now but it's quite unique in the sense that the top players can potentially prioritize uh, yeah. rest and prioritize certain competitions whereas if you're further down you've got to accept a higher level of competition and workload to get yeah. points to qualify to get better draws so that you can climb up the rankings and so on yeah, yeah. the strategies are totally different depending on your ranking yeah if you are at the top you have the possibility to select your the big tournaments with a lot of points to gain yeah. and when you are uh, out of the the 50 50 top players i think that it's a different sport yeah interesting that isn't it it, it does present quite a unique uh, conundrum and equation to to unravel yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure yeah very good anyway back to you not roger federer um so uh so you your you started to specialize in exercise physiology you were passionate about understanding about training and and so you sort of threw yourself into studying that area and working in that area. Yeah, exactly. So you know, um, I started to be interested by sports science 15 years ago, I would say, maybe a little bit more now. And uh, at this time, uh, it was clearly just the beginning in France. Uh, right. Uh, the the main job that you could expect in sports was uh, to be a physical education teacher, but it was no real job in sports science. The only way to to work in sports science was to get a, a job at the university as a lecturer and in exercise physiology or things like that. But uh, 
it was nothing else. And uh, mm. it is still the case almost at the present time. And uh, so at the beginning, I decided to work in this area, but uh, I wanted to secure a job and a salary. And that's the reason why I became first a physical education teacher. Okay. And it gave me the opportunity to have a job, to have a salary. And then I started to study uh, exercise physiology and training methodology. Mm. But the first step for me was to become a physical education teacher. Oh, wow. And, and so you balanced the two, your, your studies whilst you were, you were teaching children about so, physical education? Yeah. For, for two years, uh, I was t- teaching to, to, to young people. And then uh, I get the opportunity to get a job in the university where I was student. So at that time, I started my master's degree in uh, exercise physiology and my PhD. So at the same time, I was giving lectures a lot, maybe 500 hours per per year. Mm. And uh, and at the same time, I was conducing my my PhD at the French Institute of Sport. That sounds almost like the career I had um, when the British system took off. I think I, when I first graduated, I was expecting to to teach or be a university lecturer and and get and work with athletes on the side. Um, but I was fortunate enough that the system just grew, and and I, I was able to get a job. But it sounds like you you did that job. You you took that path that I almost took. Yeah, and uh, the the good thing is that okay. In some aspect, I, I lost some time because instead of going directly to study exercise physiology, I started to become a physical education teacher. But after that, I had the opportunity to select where I would uh, start studying sports science and the topic of my research. And it gave me the opportunity to work with Christophe Oswiert at the French Institute of Sport. Mm-hmm. And because I had already a salary, I was interesting for the institute because it was no funding to find to have me as a PhD student. And at the same time, it gave me the opportunity to select somewhere I could uh, work on applied topic, which was clearly my main uh, purpose. Uh, So that's interesting. So, So rather than an advertised PhD with a specific title that's got funding and probably some conditions behind it, you were almost freer to decide where you, where you wanted to go. That must have been... Yeah, exactly. The, the, the thing I did is that I went on PubMed. I, you know, I, I was practicing triathlon, so I was writing triathlon, performance, physiology, yeah. and I observed that Christophe published a lot of different studies in this area. Mm. And when I saw that he was working at the French Institute of Sport in Paris, so very close to, to my house, yeah. I went there, and I said, okay, I want to work with you, but I want to, to focus on something very applied. And uh, Christophe was working with the French Olympic team since uh, many years. Mm. And he told me, okay, at this moment, I have no specific topic for you, but I will think about it. And uh, uh, this is how I started to study pacing, to describe, you know, the, the, the activity. So... I was traveling with Christophe and the French uh, team yeah. uh, for on the World Cups, on the, the Olympic test events and so on. And it was the basis of my PhD. 
So for me, it was perfect because it was very applied and it was related to my sport. So that was the, the, the best uh, PhD that I could have imagined. Yeah. Okay. So, so can I assume then that because you're traveling with the team, you're researching the team, that was in some ways the best opportunity and best advert for you to be part of the team in itself? Yes, for sure. Uh, it helped me to, to learn how to communicate with the coaches, with the athletes, to also understand their reality. Uh, and the positive things also is that, okay, I was conducing my PhD on pacing, but uh, uh, when I was on the competition with the, the staff, we were not discussing just about pacing. You know, for example, for Beijing, we had to consider the effect of the heat, yeah. of, uh, you know, the travel, uh, many things like that. And so it pushed me to open my interest to different areas and uh, about uh, heat, altitude training, nutrition, recovery, uh, strength training for endurance sport and so on. And for me, it was the, the best way to learn. And uh, also at the same time, uh, so Christophe was uh, a top uh, PhD director for me because he saw that I wanted to, to do as much as I can. And uh, he, he gave me the opportunity to work with other national team when I was a PhD student. So I started working with uh, synchronized swimming, mm -hmm. with uh, modern pentathlon and uh, different sports. So it was the perfect way for me to build my, my culture with uh, high-level athletes. Yeah, and and uh, your the, the the breadth that you're talking about, um, but also the the grounding that you're talking about, you know, teaching PE. Um, what what could, what did you draw from that now when you look back at the the chances to work with that multitude of different sports, but but also to be able to teach PE fundamentally. Um, what does that give you now when you look back? PE is physical education. Oh, yeah. Yeah. PE. Sorry. Yeah. Physical okay. education. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the first experience as a physical education teacher uh, helped me to develop my capacity to act as a chameleon. Uh, when I started, I was working uh, near Paris in, uh, in, in uh, cities where uh, with a difficult uh, audience, okay. uh, you know, uh, difficult uh, uh, students. Uh, yeah and um, low social classes and so on. And uh, it was the perfect way for me to learn how to adapt and to, okay, to find a way to, to bring them with me instead of fighting against them. Right. So that's the main thing I learned from this experience. The second step uh, at the French Institute of Sports and when I, no, at the uni, when I was uh, giving lectures to students, it was much easier because they were, they were interested yeah. to be there. So um, the main thing that I learned was to develop my capacity to uh, make things e easier to understand. And right. I think that this is one of the things which is very helpful for me at the moment with the infographics yeah. was that, okay, I had to find a way to explain them exercise physiology, uh, training methodology in a way that they will understand. And uh, the next step at the French Institute of Sport was to 
okay, it gave me the, the opportunity to develop my capacity to act as a chameleon, to, to be able to discuss, to communicate with different coaches yeah. from different sports, with different athletes who sometimes were very demanding. And for me, there's the, the opportunity to work in these different environments uh, helped me to develop my capacity to interact with people and to find uh, each time a way to communicate with them. And uh, I think this is the, the main thing that I learned uh, by working in this di different environment. So, so as a teacher then for physical education, um, you're, you're looking back and seeing that you, you not only have a really strong connection with communication, but that you were also picking up from your students that communication or excellence in communication um, can can facilitate their learning. Or if you don't get communication right, it's a barrier to learning. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And uh, each time I had to find a way to adapt myself, to adapt to what I was presenting, to make sure that they will understand. Can you, because, give, can you give me an example of that? About how you did huh. that as a teacher? Well, for example, I, I created a course at the uni uh, to explain them, uh, you know, about metabolism, exercise metabolism, mm. with uh, not the little white man, but uh, with uh, everything was uh, related to images. You know, you have like uh, different factories when you can right. produce different things with different, uh, you know, uh, uh, material at the beginning so inside the factories you have workers okay. it's the enzymes and so on and uh, depending on on, on the, the factories the 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 number of uh, uh, reaction in series is going to be different or and so on and uh, okay this is one example i can give you yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the idea was there to find a way to to use images to make things easier to understand. Yeah. Okay. So you've already got an interest in not yeah. only making the information land for your for yourself, but how you can portray it. I, yeah. I, for I, me, I really like this that. is it was the main challenge because I was considering that at the end of the lecture, if they were not able to explain it, yeah. my lecture was just useless. Yeah. So it has to it had to be interesting, but also it has I had to be sure that they would have learned something with me. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I always I always um, imagine the cardiovascular system as a railway um, that's picking up something at one station and dropping it off at another station. Uh, so I, I can I can relate to the imagery that you're creating for other people, and and yeah. it's it's the same technique that. Uh, champions in memory and uh, memory recall that they, they use a similar imagery to attach to the different um, okay. features that they're, they're remembering. Okay. And, yeah. and a, a few years after, I, I find on the internet someone who did exactly the same, uh, you know, uh, comparison yeah. just to show that, okay, uh, it's not necessarily my idea, but uh, it's interesting to see that without discussing about it with someone in another country yeah. another person was using the, the same the same approach to to present you know the the energy pathway 
ATP, anaerobic, and, and things like that. Ah, interesting. So we've almost found the origin of your uh, infographic. <laughs> so what? Maybe. Um, what? So you, you you spent a bit of time working with the elite teams in France. Uh, yeah, me. yeah. I I started uh, my master's degree in two thousand and six because I was teaching at the uni. Uh, Christophe asked me to to split it in two years because uh, when I arrived at, uh, at the French Institute of Sport, I was already uh, at the beginning of the second year of my master's degree, but I did it in two years instead of one. And then I did my PhD. So from 2006 to 2010, I was a student. And uh, just before the defense of my PhD, uh, Sylvain Dorel, one of my colleagues, left for a university, so the the institute created uh, a job, and uh, I, they, they selected me. So immediately, I, from students, I became a sports scientist, mm. and then I stayed from 2010 to 2016 at the institute. So I stayed for 10 years at the at the institute. Oh, very good. And uh, our paths crossed, I remember, in 2013 when I came over to to do a talk. At that point, you were, your research was, was public, but you were also working with the teams and, uh, and having yeah. a real impact with, the, with yeah. the teams there. Yeah. At the beginning, my, I would say that from 2010 to 2014, uh, the, my job was mainly dedicated to research. I was already acting as a consultant for the federation, okay. but the biggest part of my time was dedicated to research. Even if the, the research topic were related to topics which were coming from the federation, the federations. Uh, but in 2014, the institute decided to change my position, my role. And so I dedicated a bigger, bigger part of my time uh, to to act as a consultant for the federation which were preparing Rio. Okay. So uh, I did the same job, but the distribution of my time uh, changed with time. Okay. Ma- mainly research at the beginning, and more and more with time, I was acting as a consultant to provide uh, tips and support for for the federation. Okay. So the consultant word there you're using to describe the hands-on delivery, the work day-to-day, addressing athlete needs, traveling with them, but, but ultimately trying to create performance improvement rather than yeah, understanding it, new innovative research. Yeah, clearly. My job was to... So in France, we had a selection of 10 federations identified with a good chance to get medals in Rio. So my job was to, to meet the coaches of these uh, athletes and to uh, discuss with them about the, the, the problem they were facing, the question that they had, and to help them to find practical solutions, for example, to, okay, to prepare for the climate in Rio, to manage the, the, the timing of the, you know, for example, in swimming, the, the final were very late, yeah. so to find solutions to be ready for that to know how to optimize the way they were using altitude training, heat training, and so on. And uh, it was the, the biggest, at the end, it was the, the main part of my job. Yeah. Okay. So problem solving, addressing performance needs. And that's yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the, the biggest part of my work was mainly with on-drone sports. I had, in the end, I had a, a good experience with the French rugby sevens team, but uh, I was mainly working with, uh, you know, mountain bike cycling, with uh, swimming, with open, open water swimming. Yeah. Uh, so mainly on-drone sports. Mm. So if you... If I can ask you to, to look back over your applied career, uh, as well as your research, you know, you're now working in uh, elite football. Uh, what, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've, you've picked up? Um, I would say that uh, for me, it's very simple. Uh, the the main, lesson, main lesson was that you have to be fair with people because you, don't, you never know what will happen and... Uh, and you have to create a good relationship with people. This is the basis for me. And the other thing is that you have to work a lot uh, and to keep challenging yourself. Because um, uh, I don't know how it is in UK, but in France, there is there are clearly few opportunities to work uh, at full time as a sports scientist. And uh, this is the way it is. It's like a big, big competition. There are a lot of uh, people at the university who want to have the best position, but mm. in the end, there is uh, only a few positions to, to get. And uh, so the only way to succeed, I think, is to, to create a good network to, to keep working hard because you never know what will happen and when you will get the opportunity, but you will have to be ready when it will happen. And, uh, and the best way to do that is to keep challenging yourself. And I think that uh, on the one hand, you, have to, to have a, you need to have a plan. So for me, the key was to, to get to secure a job before starting uh, studying uh, sports science. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I was not sure if I would succeed to get something in this area. And, um, and yes, clearly to understand that, okay, many people want the same thing than you. And you have to find a way to have more chance than the other to get the position that, that you are expecting. And uh, so you need to be identified. You need to build a strong reputation. Mm. And uh, your job is to find a way to do that. And uh, I think the key, yes, is to be fair, to, to observe people around you, to find, to understand what you could bring, yeah. what will make you different than the other. If you do that, it's not sure that something will happen, but you will have more chance to get something. Mm. And, uh, and also to realize that it takes time to get opportunities and uh, uh, that you have to be patient, but I'll, at the same time to, to be vigilant and to see, okay, uh, in which areas you could progress, you should progress mm. and so on. So yeah, basically working hard and be fair with people. Mm. Yeah, there's some good lessons there. Very uh, simple, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, and tell us a little bit about some of the mistakes you might have made over the over the years. What if you could if you could go back in time? What would you um, what would you repair? I mean, we always learn from mistakes, but uh, tell us about some of your learning experiences. Honestly, I have been. I th I consider that I have been lucky in my career. I'm young, yeah? but uh, I've been lucky because each time I was expecting to get a new challenge, yeah. I get an opportunity. So uh, 
when I was uh, uh, when I, I was a physical education teacher, I get the opportunity to to work at the university, and it gave me more free time for uh, to 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 get the possibility to start my uh, sports science degrees. Uh, when I was at the uni. Uh, I get the position as a sports scientist at the French Institute of Sport immediately uh, at the end of my PhD and even if just before the end of my PhD, so it was yeah. perfect. And when I decided to leave the French Institute of Sport, I get the opportunity to work in the Monaco Football Club. So I think that I was lucky. The only thing that maybe I could have improved is the, you know, at the beginning I decided to secure a job uh, before start, starting studying sports sciences. So I lost, it's not r r really losing time, but I could have started two or three years earlier. Yeah. And uh, maybe, okay, this is the thing that I would have changed, but it gave me the opportunity to learn things. And uh, also it gives me the, the, the good thing was that, okay, uh, I had already a salary. So if I was not, Finding a job in sports science immediately after the, the, my, the end of my PhD, it was no big deal. So maybe I could have, I, it could have been reduced in time, but at the same time, it gave me some comfort uh, when I was a student. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good reflection. I think, uh, I think a lot of the time, having seen hundreds of people go sp straight into sports science, and that's all they've ever known. It can actually quite, it can limit your perspective on life and 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 the fact that you've you've spent a, some time in a different sphere, a different domain, uh, doing different things. Yeah, it adds variety, it adds different capabilities that that you're ultimately you draw upon anyway. Yeah, for me, for example, the fact of having learning, uh, um, you know, psychology. Uh, motor learning to become a physical education teacher was also a good way to 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 know that okay there is not only exercise physiology there are other areas and uh, as a physical education teacher you have to learn in these different areas so for me it was also a good point on one side okay i could say that it was a, a loss of time because uh, i could have been involved in sports science earlier but yeah. at the same time i think that you are always learning from your experience so to be honest i don't think that i would change anything uh, because for me uh, each each step was a, a way to to learn things and each time i decided to move in in other another job I get an opportunity, so I was clearly lucky uh, on this aspect, mm. on this point. Fantastic. Well, some good reflections to, to share with people there. So um, let, me, let me start asking you about these infographics then. So um, how many have you produced so far? Let's just give a few stats for people that might be listening. Uh, so I, did the, the, I designed the first one in August 2014, and, and, yeah. uh, and now I think that I designed 700 infographics 700 2014 so that's 150 100 and you've produced how many sorry 700 700 so that's that's nearly 200 a year that's, yeah that's yeah, prolific like that. that is that's incredible so um 
So, and you something like 70 odd thousand Twitter followers. I'm sure it's your charming picture that you, that, that are drawing yeah, for of, sure. of your, your profile picture that people are yeah. attracted to, but it might also be the infographics. It, it'd be fair to say that in, in sports science, um, it's become a bit of a phenomenon and, you know, credit to you for, for leading that out. Um, tell us, tell us how it started. How did you start getting into this yeah. area? It's a funny story. Um, so in 2012, uh, I, we did a big study at the French Institute of Sport. So uh, the idea of the, the study was to identify how to manage the workload before the taper phase, you know, before a competition. And uh, the, uh, when I was working with the French triathlon team, we observed that it was a big question for the coaches and the athletes to identify, okay, how much training was enough before the competition, before starting the taper, and how to identify how much fatigue is too much. Okay? Sounds like an interesting so, paper. Yeah, exactly. And I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we, we did a, a big study, which was very demanding. Uh, for six months, we had... Uh, on almost every weekend dedicated to testing uh, because uh, 43 athletes were involved in the in the study they had to complete uh, each of them had to complete about 10 tests uh, uh, on different weekends and so it was a very demanding study in the end uh, so we analyzed the data we wrote the, the paper and we were very happy because we succeeded to publish the paper in the MSSE so uh, a good review, mm. a good journal. And, uh, but in the end, when I look at my stats on ResearchGate, no one was reading the paper. Yeah. And for me, <laughs> it was a disaster because, uh, okay, I was happy about the message of the paper, about the, the, what we found and so on. But in the end, no one was reading the paper. And I, I, I thought that it was an interesting question. And uh, because I observe a lot of time that some coaches were uh, dealing with such kind of problem, and I was considering that the problem was not coming from the, the topic of the study. But the problem was that no one was reading the paper. And my wife is working in communication. And I discussed with her about that, and she just told me, okay, it, it, just obvious there is a problem regarding the way you are sharing the message uh, maybe the paper is too complex uh, maybe it's too long and you should consider something different and uh, she suggests me to to have a look at uh, okay a new software pro which were allowing uh, giving the opportunity to create infographics yeah. and this is how it started I designed the first one like that, and immediately uh, I get a very good response on uh, Twitter. Yeah. And I decided to do another, and step by step, I created the the, the blog, and uh, then a Facebook page, and so on. And now it's it's part of my routine, so it's very simple. So can I can I ask you about um, the your your the question the observation that you made that no one was reading my paper 
Now, was that in relation to others? So you could see that other papers were more popular or did you just observe the whole field to think nobody's really reading these? Yeah, it was mainly the, the not necessarily by comparing my stats to my other paper. Maybe I had uh, 1,000 reads uh, yeah. after a few months. And for me, it was when I was considering how much uh, effort I put to conduce that study, to analyze the data, to write the paper, and so on. Yeah. And in the end, when I saw that just uh, 1,000 1, people read the, the paper, for me, it was uh, not enough. Yeah. And uh, it was six months of my life. And in the end, just to for such kind of results, it was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was very disappointing, in my view. Mm -hmm. so, I'm I'm wondering maybe one day if you produce a, an infographic that charts the number of reads on ResearchGate of that original paper versus the number of reads of the infographic. <laughs> and, yeah, and look yeah. Look at the comparison. Yeah, my my view is that okay, it has to be complementary, and uh, yeah. the the infographic are just here to to promote what is new in sports science. Yeah, and. The top for me would be to know that people, some people are reading the full papers because they, they have read the infographic. Uh, the infographic are insufficient. It's not enough. Uh, Franco Impelizzeri recently just wrote uh, an editorial in IGSPP to explain that, okay, there are some uh, problems associated with the infographics, uh, mainly that it, they are just an oversimplification of the, the papers, and that is true. And when you know that a scientific paper, most of the time is also a simplification yeah. of the reality, Very which true. is much more complex, in the end, it can become a problem. And the on only solution for me is that people read the full papers, and but it's still not enough. And I think that they need, the most important is to build your own experience. Because you can read as many papers as you want, uh, and uh, even if it's not only infographics, if you read the full papers, it's not enough. If you want to understand the, the topic, you need to, to have your own experience. And for me, that's the key. Yeah. And I think the, the role of the infographics is to encourage people to identify what is new. And I hope that some of them will read the, the full papers because if they just read the infographics, in my view, it's it's, it's not enough. You're hinting to the fact that maybe some people will be looking at the infographics maybe with some disdain or looking down on them, um, some sort of criticism of the infographic ideas. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I, I, I'm just saying that it's very important to keep in mind that the infographics are just one media among yeah. others and that uh, we should think about the complementarity of the medias instead of yeah. trying to find the best media. Uh, there, it depends of the context, in, it depends of the, the audience. Yeah. Uh, there, and uh, there, is no, there is not one single way to share the, the knowledge. But I think that if you are focusing on the infographics, it's extremely important to keep in mind that, okay, it, it is just uh, a simplification of a scientific paper, which is already 
a simplification of the reality, which is much more complex. Yeah. And for me, it's very, very important to have that in mind. Yeah, and I think you do a good job of that. I mean, I see on your website that you you encourage people to not just to consider the infographics on their own in isolation and to, 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 to go and explore further if they want more information. Yeah, but I think that I have to to go further in this direction. That's the reason why, for example, I try to design more infographics which are... Uh, presenting, you know, uh, a way to uh, present the data, to understand statistics. Uh, recently, I did an infographics on, the, you know, the different level of evidence that you mm-hmm. can have uh, in the scientific literature. But I think that there are other solutions to, to experiment. One idea, for example, would be to add uh, something on the infographics to identify the level of evidence. Because sometimes, okay, if you are just focusing on the practical implication, but if it's just one isolated study uh, with a, a, a few people and so on, you have to be careful with the fact that, okay, it's not, uh, it cannot be a general conclusion. You have to be careful with, okay, the, the, the conclusion of the paper, the practical implication and so on. So I think that we have to find... Uh, I have to keep improving the, the infographics because they have a lot of limitation. And uh, it is my responsibility also to help people to identify the, the, the limits, mm. the limitations. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, uh, well, that's, that's very open of you to, to, to share that. I, I suppose you can't do it all. Um, uh, the, that's not forgetting the fact that the infographic printout that that stuck up on a a rugby club changing rooms uh, to to prompt people to remember uh, the thing that we're asking you to do has got an evidence base and here's a nice infographic that can hopefully improve your acceptance of an idea and a concept that can help your your performance I've seen that as I travel around and I go ah there's there's another one of Jan's uh, artworks uh, and it's just printed out, and it just helps the conversation. Yeah, 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 clearly. Mm. And you can do it well, and you can do it in a bad way. And so, as always, it is the responsibility of people uh, to 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 make sure that they are uh, they have the good use of the infographic. And for example, if you explain a study to someone who is not educated in sports science, you can explain what you want. And uh, it is your responsibility to explain, okay, look at this. It's a new study. It can give us uh, this idea of we could test that. But we have to keep in mind that, okay, it's just a general trend which has been identified in this context for this kind of population. Maybe it will be different for you. But for me, the top would be to, to, to hear that some people are experiencing new things because, because they read something on an infographic. Yeah. For me, the key is to build your own experience. It's just here to stimulate people, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, because uh, for me, the, the problem is, uh, is magnified by the infographics because they are just an oversimplification of the, the scientific paper. But we have to also to keep in mind that we may have the same kind of problem, 
with the scientific papers by themselves. Mm. Because when you are doing a study uh, in a given context on a specific population, we cannot consider that because it is evidence-based, uh, it is the rule for everybody. Mm. So for me, just a way to stimulate people to try new experience and to challenge themselves yeah. uh, in their practice. Yeah. So, so, but I mean, you're you're almost playing, um, we say, devil's advocate to your own material here, almost seeing the limitations. But um, from a positive point of view, because they have proved so popular and interesting, I'm 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 interested to get your understanding of of why that might be the case. Why why is it that Ultimately, you know, it's a couple of white, white, yeah. white men and a summary conclusion and uh, another graphical representation of the results. That's I think that what it is, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, it is mainly because it was almost nothing in this area. We were missing something to bridge bridge the gap between the sports scientists who are producing research and uh, the people who are, you know, coaches, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, physios, and so on, uh, there is, there are clearly some different issues. And sometimes, uh, my view is that the the scientific journals uh, are extremely important, but we cannot expect too much of them. Uh, we have to find a way to create uh, other medias which are. Uh, going to promote this knowledge and the problem in my opinion is that on many in many cases you have people who are doing an amazing job in sports science but they are not taking in charge the fact of disseminating what they found and uh, that's the reason why i think that uh, the infographics are very successful because it's just one way to to share the world yeah. and because at the moment there is no Nothing between uh, the papers and uh, the people who are likely to be interested by the the implication that this paper could have on the field. Yeah. So that's the reason because it was nothing, almost nothing. Yeah. And but it, it is changing, in my opinion, because uh, now you have uh, podcasts, you have uh, more and more blogs, and some of them are very very good. And it's much more easier now. You can, you know, you can create your own website in two minutes. You can record a video on your on your phone. You can you can post it on YouTube and so on. So, for me, it is clearly changing the game because now you have the possibility by yourself to create something which is going to bridge the gap yeah. between the the scientific journals and the people. The other thing I think is that. The good thing with the infographics is that they are responding well to the fact that people sometimes they don't have time. They just want to have quickly the information. And the good thing with the infographics is that, okay, you don't need one hour to, to, to listen a podcast or to watch a video with yeah. the infographics. It's okay. In uh, one minute, I have the information yeah. in, or less sometimes. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're right in the sense that People are getting uh, the the, you know, the next generation will be brought up digesting information so quickly uh, with a shorter attention span that they're 
they're scrolling through Instagram or Twitter and and they're digesting information very quickly. Um, and and also people are t- increasingly time poor because they're under increasing demand. Uh, and so y- your your infographics are providing that quick yes. hit. Um, yeah, it's an efficient way to mm. share uh, information in sports science. Yeah, I I wonder whether I I found them particularly useful because maybe I'm a bit lazy. Um, I I think uh, I I would tend to read a scientific journal by by doing the search, finding the headings, looking at some of the abstracts, looking at the conclusion of the abstract. And then, yeah. then that—that's yeah. the only point where I decide whether, whether I want to read more or not. Um, and yeah. and so you're you're shortcutting that that process, I think, for for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, it, it's time consuming. Mm. Clearly, but but also I think it, it challenges. But, and for, for example, oh. last time um, Martin was recording a podcast, Martin Buchet, yeah. and uh, the last question was, "Tell me your two best books." Uh, and Martin said, okay, the problem that I have with books is that it, it takes too much time to read. And I agree with that. Most of the time, when I write a book, uh, most of the time, I, I, don't, I do not finish the book hmm. because it's, uh, it's time consuming. And the problem uh, in our society is that we are always to be more productive and yeah. so on. And... Uh, uh, I see in my situation, I have to find new way to get uh, the information efficiently. Yeah. Uh, uh, for, and for example, that's the reason why podcasts are so good for me because I'm listening podcasts when I'm on my bike, when I go at work. Yeah. Because I can do two things at the same time. It's also a problem because you don't have to forget that, okay, sometimes things are complex. And if you do not dedicate enough time for them, you can be sure that you are not going to be an expert in any area. So you have to find a balance. Yeah, I I don't tend to read books in a normal way of of sitting down and digesting information. I I pick up a book and I'll read it for a bit and it will spark an idea. And so I use books in a different way than I would do scientific research where I'm looking for a specific fact or I'm looking for the, the data uh, that I can process on something else, whereas books okay. give me the inspiration for for different yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, connections. Um, I, I wonder. I wonder if your infographics are also challenging um, the the dogma and the tradition of of published communication. Um, first of all, how we present data, how we present our information. So, challenging a, a more attractive way of presenting information rather than white white paper with black print and and it all being very traditional Um, yes my feeling is that once again there is a place for everything uh and uh the the best paper i read last year was from mike mike gigan and it was an editorial in igspp and the title was it depends and for me it is exactly the same with the medias that we are using to share sports science. Yeah. And there is a place for everything. The problem is that uh, for a long time, we just focus on producing scientific papers, as you said, black and white paper, sometimes very long, very complex to understand and, and so on. 
But the problem is not coming from the scientific papers. The problem is coming from the fact that you don't have other medias which are sharing the information which is inside the papers. And uh, this is uh, what the infographic are doing. But for example, this is what you can do with uh, videos, with podcasts, with a lot of things that we could imagine. And once again, I think that it is our responsibility as sports scientists to create new way to share the knowledge which is inside these papers instead of criticizing them. Mm. And uh, for me, it's, uh, uh, it's really important to understand that there is no, no problem with the scientific papers with themselves. The problem is coming with the fact that it is the only way we are using to share yeah. what we are finding. So we have to find other solutions to share the message. Yeah, uh, but you also hit upon a, a topic there about accessibility. Many papers are behind uh, a paywall where you can't access it. Um, yeah. it's, 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 it's not available to, to some people unless they're working in academic organizations. And... Yes, I agree. I agree. And this is clearly one problem. Mm. Clearly. And, this and is the... also one of the reasons why we created uh, our platform with uh, Mathieu Lacombe and Martin Buchet. Mm. Uh, it's called Sport Performance and Science Report. And the idea is to, uh, um, you know, um, publish some free access reports yeah. and uh, everything is free for everybody. So people have the possibility to submit their report. It has to be, to be applied sports science yeah. and uh, it is open access. But uh, once again, in my case, for example, I had to find a way to, uh, to keep developing the concept of uh, infographics. And... Uh, one of the main problems experienced by many people was the language. Uh, many French people or Spanish people were telling me, okay, your infographics looks very, look very interesting, but most of the time I have difficulties to understand the message because I don't speak English very well. Okay. And so I decided to create a smartphone application, which will be launched in a few months, and to propose the infographics in French and in Spanish. But the problem, if you want to develop the concept, is that you need to uh, invest money to develop, for example, in my case, a smart, yeah. smartphone application and so on. So it's not always easy to find a way to be uh, innovative and to make it free at the same time. Yeah, it's very true. challenging. And in my case, it was a very hard decision to take. And it, I decided to say, okay, if people want to get the infographics in Spanish, in France, they will have to, in French, they will have to pay a, a, a small amount of money, less than two euros per month. But it's not possible for me to do it for free because yeah. I have to pay someone for, to develop the, the app, to, try to translate the infographics and so on. And that's the reason why I think that sometimes we cannot always expect things to be totally free. Yeah, well, you've... You've been doing this for four years now, 700 infographics, you know, you've got a book that's on the basis of it. But ultimately, if you want to keep sustaining it, you, you, you might have to, if it, and, and if it grows even further, you're going to have to try and find a way of funding it to a certain extent. Yeah. And yeah. the main reason I was uh, talking about that was about, okay, the you have to pay to get the scientific research. Uh, 
but uh, maybe there is a balance to find because okay it's certainly too sometimes too too expensive for for people yeah but uh, yeah but i think instead of saying that it is a limitation it is our role to find solution to fix the problem yeah. instead of criticizing a lot of time i hear people criticizing the actual system but they are uh, doing nothing to to make it better so if it is clearly a problem for some people okay let's find a, a solution but push yourself yeah push yourself yeah <laughs> be part of the solution yeah so so um you've they've, they've clearly evolved over time what um what have you learned about communication um as you've as you've gone through this whole journey um my my feeling is that uh, it's it's quite simple. Uh, the key is that if if you really want to to be heard, uh, if you you have to find a way to communicate the the idea that you want to share, and to make sure that uh, you will find a way the person you are speaking to will will understand. I think that the key is here. It's very basic, but uh, this is the first step, and uh, and. Um, uh, once again, I'm talking about Martin Bouchet, but um, Martin wrote uh, an interesting editorial a few months ago. The, the name was, the title was Houston, we still have a problem. And Martin was pointing the fact that, okay, sometimes the people, uh, you know, coaches, uh, physios and so on are not reading the, the papers because they are dealing with topics which are not of interest for people who are working on the field. So I think the first step, if you want to communicate with people, make sure that you are talking about something which is interesting for them. So this is the first step. And that's the reason why one key thing about the infographics for me is the selection of the papers that I okay. am presenting in the infographic. Um, the second thing is that, um, so understand your audience mm -hmm. and understand the needs of people and what they are expecting. Um, so it will help you to select the, the good topic and uh, also uh, make sure that you are understanding uh, what they are waiting from you. For example, I observe that a lot of time the sports scientists are very uh, stimulated by explaining the mechanisms uh, because it is what is the most difficult to understand many times. But in the end, the the people on the, the 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 field are mainly interested by the potential practical implication yeah. which can be associated with the study that they they conduced so you have to make sure that you target the expectation of people i think that one other key is to adapt your language to make sure that you are not going to adopt some vo vocabulary that people are not going to to understand uh, to be clear and to give uh, example as uh, as often as possible, yeah. and uh, and uh, yeah, and this is mainly about the infographics and more generally, I would say that uh, in communication you have to be flexible, you have to adapt yourself as much as possible. You have also to accept to say I don't know or it depends because. Uh, you, you cannot provide a solution for each problem. 
Yeah. And uh, and once again, I think that uh, the key is to find uh, to, to to think in terms of complementarity of the medias that you are using, because there is a place for for everything. Mm. And uh, that's the right the, the reason why I think that the the future of communication in sports science is will be to find complementary ways to share the knowledge instead of criticizing the the scientific journals and uh, because i also observe that uh, some journals are making efforts for example the, my main uh, uh, the, the first people who, who were uh, very encouraging uh, for the infographics in my case was were louis burke who was uh, yeah. editor-in-chief of uh, the International Journal of Sport Nutrition and Metabolism, Karim Khan mm. for B BGSM, and uh, uh, the editors of Sports Medicine, and just to, to show that, okay, the, the logic is to find different ways to, to share the knowledge, but without saying that there are too much limitation of the scientific journal. So yeah. more generally, I, I would say that, okay, this is the, the next step. And I see that, okay, you have more and more different way to, to communicate in sports science. And your podcast is the perfect example of that. Yeah. So um, can I ask you just a quick question that's occurred to me? How successful do you think they would be if you, they didn't have the men on them? I presume they're men. Uh, they could be, they're just white people, aren't they? Um, yeah, because I'm interested to know as to whether it almost creates an imagery about people experiencing something as opposed to just hard facts. Yeah, what are the, your thoughts on, on, on the role of the white people? I think that the design is key. Uh, it's a little bit sad to say that, but uh, the, the design of the media is almost as important as the content. Means that uh, if your content is uh, shitty, it's not going to work. But if you have a very good content and that the design I'm talking about infographics is not good, it's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. So I think that clearly the little white man, the 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 templates of the the infographics are very important. And uh, but you know now it's much easier to to create infographics. You have different software uh, that you can, uh, which are very easy to use. Uh, you know, Canva. You have PictoChart. You have uh, maybe five to ten software which can help you to create infographics. Uh, so it's not so difficult. In my case, I think the the, the biggest performance was to create seven hundred infographics in three years because it's very demanding to be consistent. Yeah, but for me, clearly, uh, when I consider the role that I had when I was at the French Institute of Sport, in the end, uh, acting as a consultant for the federation, or here in Monaco to work with the the first team on a daily basis, this is the perfect way to keep getting new ideas and to keep uh, uh, reading papers. Mm -hmm. Because at one moment I was so busy that I stopped reading and okay. it, it was becoming yeah. a problem. So for me, it's a, I know that I have to create the infographic, uh, maybe 
three per week, three per week, and it's the perfect way to keep the pressure on me to keep reading articles, yeah. to keep uh, maintaining my scientific survey to, to see what is new and so on. Mm. So three per, three per week, just give us a little... Yeah vision uh we can see your kitchen table or your your kitchen there uh, how how do you go about building these uh what what's how's it how's it start it's very simple so i am you know uh, every day i have a check of the the big uh, scientific journals in in sports science so i have a quick look of what is new what has been published so i have a quick scan of the abstract if I find the abstract interesting, so when I said interesting, means that I consider that coaches, physios, SNC coaches, and so on may be interested, I read the paper, then I select the, the key information, and then I produce the, the infographics. So I select the key messages, I try to imagine, you know, the, the, the structure of the argumentation in the yeah. paper, and according to that, I say, okay, I need such kind of template. And then the first step, most of the time, if I don't have enough time, is to have a look at, in my previous infographic, if I have something which may fit with okay. the structure of the paper. If not, if it is not the case, I create a new one. And then I build the infographics. The good thing now is that uh, building them uh, helped me to create a good network. So more and more, I can be in contact with the author okay. of the paper. Yep. So I send them a draft, and they help me to build the infographics. For example, uh, yesterday, I was in contact with uh, Inigo uh, Mujica, yep. who is going to publish uh, a giant review on periodization. Uh, it will be published next month. The paper is accepted, so Inigo sent me the, the article. And... Uh, we are exchanging together to uh, adjust the content and to make sure that, okay, everything is okay, uh, to reduce the text if necessary, to make it more visual and so on. So, but it's a long process, yeah. especially now because I have to translate them in French. In French. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Okay, well, so it sounds like it, it's got slightly quicker for you because if you're, when you, as you started out, I'm sure you were changing and adapting and creating these templates as you go. So you might be able to slot some information into a template now, but at the same time, it, it still sounds like uh, 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 you have to put the hard work in to create it, uh, to, to make it work and, and, and for it to, to be accurate. Yeah, and to be honest, it, take, it takes me more and more time oh, because <laughs> more and more people are following the infographics. So I feel that now I have uh, more responsibility to produce something which is good yeah. and, uh, and uh, to make sure that uh, the message are in line with the paper. And as I said, now I have to translate them and so on. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. For mm. one infographic, I would say that uh, the average time is, is two hours. But after that, you have to program them on the social media and so on. But my wife is helping me to do that because there are so many things to do yeah. uh, to create them, to, to publish them, to, to manage the social media, uh, to, 
to develop the app and so on. So it's a lot of work. But for me, that's, uh, to be honest, that's, that's a very exciting project because this is my project. I manage it and uh, I am receiving a lot of posi- positive feedback from people, from students, from, from uh, colleagues uh, who are telling me, okay, it's, it's, it's useful for me. Yeah. So uh, it's stimulating. And, it, and now, you know, it's part of my identity. As I said, in sports science, you need to build a, a good reputation. Mm. And uh, for me, okay, uh, most of the time, people know that I am designing infographics, but they don't necessarily know what is my main job because the infographics are just a hobby for me. <laughs> That's an amazing hobby. So um, what, what, what next? And you've mentioned the app. Uh, you've already got a book out. I'm sure there'll be a, a further publication uh, as you as you're producing more. What's what's the next uh, breakthrough for you? Where do you want to push this? The the the, the first idea will be to to launch the app uh, because uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's almost finished now. It should be out in in June or in July, uh, and then we will see what will happen with the app, and then we will take a decision of on the next step, but the idea, for example, will be to create the infographic in Portuguese, because I know that a lot of people uh, are interested by sports science in Portugal and in Brazil. So it could be one idea, and maybe to do another book, I don't know. Because at the same time, once again, the infographic are just a hobby, and uh, my main job is uh, in in Monaco at the football club, so I have Mm. to to, to do the job here uh, mm. before developing the, the infographics. Mm. Fantastic. So, so it's going to be translated into every language uh, and we're going to see, we're going to see all sorts of uh, languages being, being used to, to convey your infographics. Well, um, yeah, and it's been brilliant to catch up with you and, and hear about not only your own story, but, but also how you're approaching the infographics, your, your wisdom and your consideration of, of how they're consumed and, and the limitations, but also the benefits of, of them. But um, I, I just want to say thanks for, for pioneering this area, because uh, if they if the, at least they take you two hours, then that's at least 1400 hours. But I, I can imagine there would be much more than that, because committing to to a project like this, maintaining your own pressure. Um, but yeah they've they've had a huge impact on the area so um so thank you yeah thanks for catching up and uh and thank you for everything you've done thank you thank you Steve. you can get more from jan on twitter at ylm sports science his website ylmsportscience.com and sportperfscience.com you can follow me on twitter at ingham underscore steve and at support underscore champs You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and YouTube. And for more performance insights, supportingchampions.co.uk. Join us next time when I'll be talking to longstanding friend and coach Tony Minicello about communication.